Today's episode is sponsored in part by Kajabi, LinkedIn, Yahoo Finance, and Rakuten. Kajabi gives you control of your content, brand, and income. Get a 30-day free trial to start your course at kajabi.com profiting. Reach top-level decision makers by advertising on LinkedIn. Go to linkedin.com yap for $100 credit on your next campaign. Yahoo Finance is the number one financial destination. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. Get cash back on every purchase with Rakuten, the smarter way to shop and save. Start all of your shopping trips at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app to start saving today. As always, you can find all of our incredible deals in the show notes. Give it everything you got and aspire to be the best person that you know. If you are playing basketball, you need to be the best person on that court. In the fall time, there are leaves on the lawn. My friends say, oh, perfect time to play football. I don't know what makes me think, man, I can go knock on my neighbor's door and maybe they'll pay me to rake the leaves. I can't say I, I attributed it to personal development or I had a coach to say, go out there and hustle. That's why I think sometimes entrepreneurship is innate because I can't explain mm-hmm. why my brain thinks that way. I don't want to play yeah. with y'all. I want to go make some money. Every journey, there's a bunch of stuff that you've been through or you're going through, but we spend so much time complaining about that that we don't find a lesson in it. Once I started looking for the lesson and why I'm here, something clicked when I really jumped into the personal development space that I need to embrace why I'm here. I found it and I realized Profiters, I am so excited to welcome to the show one of my closest industry friends in the podcast world and one of the hardest working people you will ever meet, David Shans. David is an entrepreneur, speaker, coach, and fashion mogul. He's the host of the Social Proof Podcast, and he's empowering a new generation of aspiring business owners across the country while dismissing the myth that entrepreneurship is out of the way for those without social or capital privilege. David is passionate about building communities and redefining how people view a successful entrepreneur. You don't have to have a million dollars in your bank account, he says. You can be an average person, ambitious enough to chase your goals on your terms and regardless of your background. David, I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, likewise. I went on your show, Social Proof, a few months back, and it was one of my favorite podcast episodes that I ever did. We got so much great feedback on it. I loved speaking with you in person. And then we got to hang out at the podcast summit, then again at Podcast Movement. So now you're one of my industry friends, which I love having my friends on the show. So welcome. Really happy to have you here. Oh, man. I'm in the podcast space, but I respect what you've done. And you're doing it better than me. So <laughs> I want to do another interview so I can learn more on how you're crushing it. But yeah, congratulations to all you're doing. Thanks, David. Thanks. So I found out from my research that you grew up in Jersey like me. I had no idea. I thought you were always from Atlanta. So you ended up being in Jersey for a long time. I don't think you moved to Atlanta until you were in high school. So what was the young Jersey boy David Shams like? A knucklehead. <laughs> I mean, well... I'm growing up in an environment, I'm from Willingboro, New Jersey, so it's about 20 minutes from Philly, maybe 15 minutes from Camden, which a few years back was the murder capital. I don't know where it's at now, so we have a lot of people from 
New York, a lot of people from Philly, Camden. If you're driving around in the daytime, you're like, oh, this neighborhood is nice enough. But it was a lot going on. I've done all of the things that people from this area aspire to do. But I was so thankful when my mom and dad split. Sounds weird. My dad moved to Philly. My mom moved to Atlanta. And I moved down to Atlanta with my mom. And I got to see something else. Not that the school that I moved to was even better, but my cousin was more positive. My family was really a little more connected. So I got to get out of that environment, do something different. I I was playing basketball for my school, and then I went to school in Alabama. So um, I've had an amazing journey of changes, which were good. Yeah. And your father was also an entrepreneur. So did you get inspired by him at all in terms of you dabbling in entrepreneurship later on in life? Absolutely. My dad was an ultimate entrepreneur. He never really made a whole, whole lot, but he made enough to take care of us. I learned so much from my dad. I'm so blessed to have had him. He's passed away now, but so blessed to have had my dad. He gave me so many life lessons. Like, for instance, if I asked him a question, he'd never give me the answer. It's not like I would ask him a question. Hey, dad, which one's the right answer? He would answer my question with another question because he always wanted me to think. And it used to frustrate me so much. I'm like, dad, what should I do? And he'll say, well, what do you think you should do? I'm like, dad, if I knew, (laughs) I wouldn't be asking you. But he always ultimately wanted me to make the decision. And he'll give me like a little nod and say, job, son. Or I was playing basketball. I was good as a kid. But he would notice in my games that I was really good with my right hand. So he'd have me dribbling up and down the street with my left hand, Mm. working on those weaknesses. This is before I got involved in kind of like the pharmaceutical sales. But I remember being a kid and he said something to me. He said, give it everything you got. And I want you to aspire to be the best person that you know. So he said, if you are playing basketball, you need to be the best person on that court. So it's these little principles that my dad taught me throughout my life. Again, he never made a whole bunch of money as an entrepreneur, but he was always going out there trying to get it. I love that. So you are now really successful, right? You've got this huge show, Social Proof. You're a huge YouTuber, big on Instagram. You've got all these different businesses, all these different communities. But before all of this, you were doing a lot of service jobs. You were waiting tables for many years. So you worked at Cheesecake Factory in the Olive Garden. And you hustled on the side eventually. And no offense to any waiters listening to this podcast, but most people who are waiting tables right now listening to the show don't want to do that forever, of course. This is a temporary thing. And I never waited tables, but I worked in my 20s and teens in the retail industry nonstop. So like every store you could think of, Juicy, BB, Abercrombie, Bath and Body Works, like just every store in the mall I worked at for like 10 years. And it taught me so much. It taught me how to be a salesperson, how to not be shy, how to be confident, how to speak with people, connect with people. And I still have those skills to this day. And we talk a lot about skill stacking on the podcast. So what did you learn from your days as a waiter that you still carry with you today? Uh, Everything. Goodness gracious. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've always had a job and something on the side. I never just was like just just an employee. Like I, I was always hustling something, right? And 
I always wanted to be better. And I knew I wouldn't be at the Cheesecake Factory forever. So my first few years, it was complaining about the job, hate the job. I don't want to be here. Not that I hated the job, but I knew I wasn't going to be there forever. But something clicked when I really jumped into the personal development space. I need to embrace why I'm here. And there's a lesson that I'm missing because I come into work and complain about the job so much. So once I started looking for the lesson and why I'm here, I found it. And I realized there's so many things that I can work on now that's going to help me later. Like, for instance, I knew I wanted to be a speaker. I came across, you know, motivational speakers. I'm like, dang, I want to do that because they talking good. But I, I needed to be able to articulate my words a little better. So I would go to the table and I have to get the same pitch every day. My name is David. The fish of the day is salmon and mahi-mahi. It comes with broccoli and mashed potatoes. <laughs> can I take your order? What can I get you to drink, right? But I used to slur my words, meaning I would say salmon and mahi-mahi. It comes with broccoli and mashed potatoes instead of broccoli and mashed potatoes. It's a small change, right? I could say broccoli and mashed potatoes, or I can pronunciate my words a little bit and say broccoli and mashed potatoes. And I would pronunciate my words a little more because I knew I wanted to be a speaker, but this job is giving me opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to work on my ability to communicate. Or, for instance, I understand that my objective is to make more money. And the way you make more money is by getting more tips. And the way you get more tips is by making sure the bill is higher. So you'll make more money on a tip if the bill is $100 versus $20. So I'm thinking of all these different ways that I can get someone to buy more. And we're working at the Cheesecake Factory. So my objective is to sell more cheesecake. The cheesecake is like $8, $7, $8 around this time. So I have to really, really sell this stuff. And if it's five people at the table and they all get a cheesecake for $8, that's $40. If we're working off of a tip system and 20% is the goal, at a $40, that's an extra $8. What if I did that 10 times a shift? That's an extra $80. What if I did that 10 times per month? That's an extra $800. So I got a chance to work on my sales skills by selling people cheesecake because I knew if I couldn't sell an $8 cheesecake, I'm not going to be able to sell a $30 t-shirt. So there was so many principles I learned from the Cheesecake Factory. Yeah. And also, I'm sure being likable, right? You needed people to like you to get those tips. And that's why probably while you're so bubbly and easy to like, right? And why people who don't even know you are your fans and like you. Yeah, it's a blessing, man. Every journey, and whoever's watching this, there's a bunch of stuff that you've been through or you're going through, but we spend so much time complaining about the stuff we've been through or that we're going through that we don't find a lesson in it. So I don't know what it is. You might be in a toxic, terrible relationship, and we're so in it and depressed about the relationship that we don't start taking notes in this toxic situation. So we can start to retract, okay, what were the signs that would have told me that this person is going to end up being this person later? Well, if you learn it now, by the time you get in your next relationship, you can start spotting those signs and you can identify what you want. So you'll be in a blissful relationship because of the one you just got out of. But we, we complain so much about where we are we never spend time to identify the lesson. Mm, I think that's a really, really good point. So while you were doing this waiting tables for many years, you always had a side gig, like you were saying. And back then, what year was this around? What were the years? 
I was at the Cheesecake Factory from 2006 to 2012. And then before that, I worked at Olive Garden for 10 months. Before that, I worked at Applebee's for like four or five months while I was in college. So like you were doing this for six, seven years and side hustling really wasn't a big, now everybody is like a side hustler. Everyone is a freelancer. This is the new way of working because everybody realizes that having a corporate job is actually not secure and everybody wants to be at least half their foot in entrepreneurship, right? So what was it for you? Because there wasn't many role models who were working on the side and working during the day. Why did you decide to side hustle? What was your motivation? Well, I mean, my dad was an entrepreneur, so he was an herbalist and an iridologist. So my dad, he could he'll take a flashlight and like a microscope and look in your eye and he could tell what's wrong. So I remember one day he was looking in my eye with his flashlight and his microscope and grabbed my foot and pressed a part of my foot. And I said, ow, what's that? He said, oh, I can see it. He said, your eyes are connected to your entire body and you can see what's wrong with the body then. And he prescribed, like, not prescribed, but he would sell herbs. And um, I always just saw my dad doing it. And another thing is, I don't know what gives someone the thought to go make money, right? So I live in a neighborhood, houses, grass, front yards, backyards. I go down the street. And in the fall time, there are leaves on the lawn. My friends see the leaves on the lawn and they say, oh, Perfect time to play football, because you can play football on the lawn. Leaves kind of shelter a little bit. But I go down the street, and because my dad made me rake my leaves, I don't know what makes me think, man, I can go knock on my neighbor's door, and maybe they'll pay me to rake the leaves. And I can go buy more basketball cards. Or we had snow days where in New Jersey, the snow has to be like at your neck for you not to go to school. But my Mom had to go to work because you had to plow the streets. All my neighbors would have to go to work and they had to shovel the driveway. So, so that my mom can go to work, my dad would say, all right, you don't have school today because it would show that you're out of school. I have to shovel the snow out of my driveway so that my mom can get out and go to work because they already plowed the streets. My friends would call the house and say, yo, we don't got school. Let's play football outside. You get your coat, you get your socks double socks, thermals, you're out there, you're hanging out with your friends, we're chilling because we're excited, we don't have school. I don't know what makes me think to myself, I'm going to go knock on the doors and shovel snow and try to make some money. Again, I can't say I, I attributed it to personal development or my dad, I had a coach that's saying, go out there and hustle. That's why I think sometimes entrepreneurship is innate because I can't explain why my brain thinks that way. I don't want to play with y'all. I want to go make some money. I don't know why. I have no idea. I'm with you. I was the same way. I was selling so much since I was a young girl, always coming up with the next idea, putting my cousins to work, my friends to work, and always like the ringleader of some little business. So I'm with you. I don't know where it came from either. Probably like you, seeing my dad sort of do the same thing and just wanting to grow up fast and make money. But you know, also, you can't 100% attribute it to environment because I grew up, but me and my brother, we were in the house. My brother may have seen my dad not make a whole bunch of money as an entrepreneur. I saw my dad not make a whole bunch of money as an entrepreneur. My brother didn't become an entrepreneur, but I did. So again, maybe I'm just trying to create 
a conversation for the audience in the chat or wherever you're at to identify, well, what made me different or what makes you different? And I think we all have our own unique thing. Like I was watching the Steve Jobs movie. And at the end of the movie, Steve Jobs looks at a computer because at that time, it was a computer, and your audience is young, so I got to explain it. There was a computer, and on the sides, there was two speakers. And that's how you listened to the audio from the computer. So at the end of it, Steve Jobs sits there, and he's in a company of all engineers. He walks over to the computer and says, why don't we just put the speakers into the computer box? Then we won't have to have these speakers that are connected to the computer. What makes him think that? I think we all just have these gifts and I think we all have a unique brain and we really need to start to think, why do we think uniquely or why do we see things uniquely? And oftentimes there's a business in that. I totally agree with you. And I think it's an important point to note because some people are natural at entrepreneurship. They're really good. They're good at it. They're good at making money. And some people do really well going on another path and you don't have to be an entrepreneur to be successful. Okay, so let's talk about experiences. For you, you did so many different side hustles. So you did landscaping, wholesaling, network marketing, hand-painted t-shirts, right? So you did a lot of different things. And a lot of these initial ideas don't exist anymore. They essentially failed, right? So talk to us about why you think some of these initial ideas didn't stick for you. Was it a marketing thing? Was it a mindset thing? Tell us about that. It's not that the business didn't work. It's just I didn't. I mean, I had to into an entrepreneur who sees myself doing something and I stay focused on it. Most of the reasons that I am not doing a bunch of the things that you just mentioned is because I just stopped doing it. Or times got hard and I had a slow season and I'm like, oh, I can't do this anymore. I need to do something else. But it was like a slow month or a slow two months. Or I'm doing something and that thing starts to work but then I see my friend doing something or somebody comes to me with an idea. And because the thing that I'm doing is working, they come to me and say, hey, you should do this with me. And I say, okay, let's do it. <laughs> this business is working. I'm going to do this with you too. And they both fail because success takes focus. So any one of the things that you mentioned, I could have made millions doing. If only I stopped stopping and stopped getting distracted and stopped getting out of our feelings. Now I understand. If I have a few bad months in podcasting or I have a few bad months in a morning meetup or a few bad months with income in anything that I'm doing, I understand it's not the end of the world. It's just a few bad months. But I couldn't handle that. I wasn't entrepreneurially mature enough to understand this is just a season and it's going to happen every single year. Every single year since I've been a full-time entrepreneur, I've had a bad season, every single one of them. Like, it's not like I had a year where every year, everything was amazing. I've had some good years, but there's always been a month or two where things get shaky. And that's the point where people quit. They start doing something else. They start hiding their tail and they start scrambling. But yeah, any of those things could have worked. I just, I was the problem. Yeah, and you have said this quote in the past, which I just want to read. My biggest mistake has been allowing other ideas to distract me from the idea that's in front of me. I've learned that suppressing my creative ideas are hard to do, but it's necessary for my success. And I think a lot of people have this problem. 
they're sort of wannabe entrepreneurs are just going from idea to idea to idea to idea and they never just focus. So how did you get yourself out of that pattern? Like what was like the big turning point where you were like, I got to just focus on one thing? Uh, I mean, you start and stop a bunch of stuff and you realize you got to stop doing that. I mean, you do anything long enough, you start learning little lessons. And then I started thinking about, again, personal development for sure. And then I started looking at all the people that I admire and all the people that I admire have been doing the same thing for a long period of time. So a lot of people are going to buy a course from somebody, right? And they're going to jump into the course and they're going to do it and they're going to start for a little while, but then they're going to buy a course from somebody else. But all the people that they're buying courses from are like the people that you admire and want to be like, they've been doing the same thing over and over and over again for a long period of time. They don't treat it like a side hustle. We treat our businesses like a side hustle. If it works, great. If it doesn't, I'll just do something else. But you learn these lessons. you got to lock in. have to do something for a long period of time and keep getting better at it. Let's hold that thought and take a quick break with our sponsors. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They are in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. 
Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Okay, so let's talk about the idea that did stick, sleep for suckers. At what point did you come up with that? Uh, I came up with the idea in college and I had this, I had an email address, sleepisforsuckers at gmail.com. <laughs> and I don't know where I got it from. I think I might have, when I was painting t-shirts in college, I might have like made a t-shirt or something like that. And I was like, oh, that's a cool name. But then I moved back to Atlanta from Alabama and m and I stopped using it. I don't remember how I started using it again, but I was like, let me recover this email address. And I sent somebody an email from that email address. And I was like, yo, that's a really cool name. And I said, great, I'm going to start making t-shirts. <laughs> that's how it started. I just started pushing the message and I, I didn't stop. So that's kind of how I remember the concept. But I don't remember how I came up with the name. It's just. Yeah, it sounds like it's been your mantra for a long time. So now you are really big on YouTube. You've got over 450,000 subscribers and I'm a YouTuber. And it is so hard to grow on that channel. So I really respect you. I always tell you like, damn, your YouTube channel is so fire. When did you start? I really only started seriously on YouTube like maybe two years ago. So it's been early. I've been doing podcasting for like six years. So my audio is so I much bigger. I started my channel 13 years ago. Yes. 13 years ago. Exactly. So it's like, I hope to be where you're at in, in five years or something. Hopefully it takes me a little less time than you. but. When did you decide to start your YouTube channel or what triggered you to take it to YouTube? I had this t-shirt brand, Sleep is for Suckers, 2010. I started it. And I'm always just thinking of ways I can get the message out because I tried to sell the t-shirt, but I found out that I'm just bad at design. I'll get something that I like, but a lot of people don't like it. So people weren't buying the design. But when I started talking about Sleep is for Suckers geared towards entrepreneurship and anyone that's willing to lose sleep to get what they want out of life. Sleeping isn't just sleeping in a bed. If you work the same job for 10 years and you're in the same position that you were in 10 years ago when you started, you've technically been asleep for 10 years. When I get a chance to start talking about it, people are like, okay, I'll buy a shirt. They weren't buying the shirt. They weren't buying the design. They weren't buying the quality. They were buying the message. So I said, I'm going to make a video and put it on YouTube. And anytime somebody wants to hear about the message, I'll send them this YouTube link. So people started watching it and it was good. And I just kept making videos on and off, spotty, start, stop, take a year, not make anything, get really inspired again, then stop again. But once I got consistent, that's when it started to pay off. But it took 10 years to get consistent. And there's a big lesson in all of this. Pay attention to the demand that's around you. You started selling t-shirts. But really, people wanted to hear you speak. And so you ended up leaning that way, evolved the brand, and it stuck, right? So always pay attention to what people are asking you about, what people think you're the expert on, right? So at what point did you start making money? When did you start to monetize your YouTube and your entrepreneurship advice? I started monetizing advice on entrepreneurship when I started the t-shirt brand, because it became like me teaching entrepreneurship. Even while I was still working at the Cheesecake Factory, I had this job and this t-shirt brand that I'm building. 
And you should have seen me. It's like, I was hustling. If I wasn't at work, I was selling these t-shirts. And people would come on a Friday night to come get t-shirts from my job because I had them in the car and I'd have my phone and say, hey, you going out tonight? Okay, great. Let me get you a shirt. Come up to the job. They would come up to the job, be at the front. Hey, is David here? They say, well, yeah. You want to sit in a section? They're like, no, I just want to talk to them. I go to the front. They give me the money. I say, hold on. I go refill all the drinks for the people at my table, make sure they had bread, make sure their food was good, make sure their order was in, run to my car, go get the shirt, bring it to the person. They leave. I come back, take care of my guests. This was my life. And people saw that. And I started telling people, listen, I'm not going to be here long. I'm making money outside of my job and with my job. And it's really cool. And I'm telling my friends and coworkers how they can do it too. And they began to be inspired. So when I did finally leave the job in 2012, October 1st, 2012, I opened a kiosk in a mall selling the t-shirts. But everybody that came to the kiosk got this little lesson and a mini motivational speech about <laughs> entrepreneurship, not sleeping. And then 2013, I opened another kiosk in the same mall, 2014. I opened a storefront in another mall, closed down the second kiosk in the first mall, but then the mall made me move my store. They told me that a bigger store, a more national store, wants my spot, so I have to leave a few months after I opened it, and I was devastated. But the cool thing was, throughout this process, I was writing this book. So when I lost the store, it gave me more time to complete my book. And the whole book called Dreams Are Built Overnight we finished the book because I didn't have as much time running the day-to-day -day business. And that came out. It was teaching entrepreneurship. Then I started speaking about the book. And then I went on tour with Eric Thomas teaching entrepreneurship because I had the book out. And then I started coaching. And that was pretty much a, what, I don't know, 10-year journey in about three minutes. <laughs> Amazing. It sounds awesome. And you know, we're all about actionable advice on the podcast. So I have to ask you for anybody who's starting their YouTube journey now, like you said, you started 13 years ago or something like that. But 2023, it's a whole different game. You're still crushing it. You still know how to get views and all of that. So how can we get more engagement on YouTube, more views and subscribers? One, you have to be good at it. I don't have a one, two, three step for someone that's not good, that doesn't ask good questions or put up amazing content or come out with shareable stuff. There's nothing I can do for you. You have to practice the craft. It's really cool because for two years of actually doing the podcast and putting it on YouTube, I wasn't thinking money. 10 years. I mean, while I was doing it. So I started 2010. I didn't start monetizing until 2020. For those 10 years, I'm not even thinking that YouTube makes money. I never even thought about it. My only thing was, are people liking this content? Are they sharing it? Are they commenting? And I was focused on having a good show and being a good interviewer and being engaging. So that's where I'm blessed because I came before the era of jump on YouTube to make a million dollars. I had time to perfect my craft. So one, you just have to be good at it. I don't care if you're super consistent, you have the best, Camera, best lighting. If the content isn't amazing, it's not going to work. So practice your craft. You really need to find a niche that you're passionate about and that other people are passionate about. 
and you have to brand yourself around this conversation. So I brand, my whole world is branded around podcasting and entrepreneurship. One, I've been doing it for 10 years or longer than that, my whole life really. But this whole podcasting thing uh, and entrepreneurship, my whole world is that. My bio says it. If you talk to me long enough, we're going to talk about podcasting or entrepreneurship. That's my brand. So I have a niche. I have an audience. I know all the things that my audience is struggling with. That's how I can tell you. All right, so you got to stop stopping. One of the worst things that can happen to an entrepreneur is a little bit of success because other people that see that little bit of success and they start inviting you to their thing that they're doing. And it's going to take you off path. The reason I know that is because I've been through it and I've been coaching entrepreneurs for the last decade on this space. So I know my audience. I know exactly what they're going through. So you need to know your audience, know exactly what they're going through. You for sure need to be consistent. So the best way to do that is have a consistent day that you record, whether it's every Wednesday, every Thursday. We record our podcast every Wednesday, for sure. Now, if somebody can't do Wednesday and they're a big enough guest, we'll do it on Thursday or do it on Tuesday because I have my own studio, so it's cool. But I have a specific day that we record. We have a specific day that we release. And it's consistent. If you think of your favorite shows growing up, it wasn't sporadic when they delivered the content. It was the same time same day, every single week. Because people put your show or your content into their life. So I release my podcast at seven in the morning because I know there are people going to work and I want them to listen to my podcast on their way to work because I want them to be inspired. I want them to be motivated. And this is their thing. It's in the routine. If anything ever happens, like there's a misfire on the scheduling or something like that, I get messages. Hey, you ain't released the episode? What happened? What happened? What happened? I'm like, whoa, whoa, let me find out what's going on. Because they buy <laughs> show into the, the framework of their lives. And you can't disappoint or you'll break trust. So if you say every Monday at seven o'clock it's going to release, and sometimes it's at seven, sometimes at 2 p.m., sometimes it releases on Tuesday, sometimes it just doesn't release that week, you're breaking the trust because now I can't trust you to put this in my schedule anymore. And also looking at the trends, studying your craft, studying what's working your, in your industry. If you put all of those together and you're good at it, it will grow, period. I feel like you hit so many, so many great points. I agree with everything that you said. Also didn't think about money for the first two years, just thought about service and being a great host and being engaging. To your point, if you don't have good content, you've got too much competition out there. You've got to study your craft. This is why, and it's a little, it's a bit much, and it's doing a lot, and it's heavy lift sometimes, but I don't do virtual interviews, not because I don't want to talk to the person, but I'm just so used to it, and that was like the best way for me to do it at the time. I started before COVID, so we got a lot of virtual stuff after COVID or during COVID because we couldn't, right? But even now, if I got to fly to somebody, I'm going to go because we're thinking information first and quality first. But also, you have to start looking at the trends in your industry. There's a point where I'm getting tired of interviewing people. I'm good at it, and people love it, but I can't just keep interviewing people, and that is the whole thing. I have to, like, spice it up. So I'm interviewing successful people, and the people love it. 
I'm not going to stop it, right? But it started to get a little bit redundant. And I started seeing a whole lot of other people interviewing successful people, which when I started in, when I started this podcast in 2018, there wasn't a lot of that. You didn't see a whole lot of influencers or entrepreneurs that you didn't know getting interviewed. You just didn't see it. Celebrities, yes. Radio interviews, yes. But an hour-long conversation with someone that's been successful, you just didn't see it. So at that time, it was cool. 2018, 2019, 2020. It's going down 2021. And then we hit a point where because everyone's at home and they're seeing this, and they see shows like mine growing or like Earn Your Leisure or people that have been in the space for a minute, the market gets flooded with other people. So the same guests that I get, you can find 10 other interviews with them being interviewed. When I started, it wasn't like that. I did a lot of people's first interview or second interview. Now they're stars and now they're all over the place because there's so many outlets to get to. And even the mainstream platforms are now interviewing influencers and entrepreneurs that you've never heard of. It just wasn't like that before. But now I see I'm starting to get bored with that. So now I'm interviewing beginning entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs that are struggling. And I'm doing it in an entertaining, almost like pearl-clutching way because I'm real aggressive. We call it the hot seat. And it's really, really uncomfortable. But now I'm just uncovering something that hasn't happened in my industry. You don't get a whole lot of content from people that are not successful yet. So now I'm going to bring you people that are not successful. And I'm going to coach them. And it's going to be entertaining. And I'm going to be slightly disrespectful. But it's also going to be helpful because I'm coaching them. And that's the pivot. So there's always something going on in your industry that is soon going to be boring and soon going to be commonplace. And if you stay stuck in that, there's going to be somebody that comes out to eat your lunch because they're going to do something innovative. And they're watching how, okay, everybody's doing this. Let me do this now. And they're going to take your audience. So I want to put that out there. It's a really, really great point. It's super smart. But let's move on to another topic that I want to make sure we hit. I want to talk to you about building a niche community. You mentioned this earlier, and you were a master at networking, building community. And so I was honored to speak at your Miami Podcast Summit that happened earlier this summer. And you put on this event in just a few months. It was executed flawlessly. It looked amazing, super well attended, really popular people were speaking. And I'm confident that it's going to just become like a yearly staple podcast, like one of the biggest podcast conferences out there. There's not that many out there that really get that big. So my question for you is, how are you able to attract a specific audience? So let me just give you a little bit more color. So I'm Arab American, right? But my audience is like 0.01% Arabic. Like there's no Arabic people listening to my stuff because I don't talk about that. I don't brand it that way. People might not even know what my, they know that I'm not white, right? But they probably don't even know what I am. So how are you able to attract Black creators? Because really it just seems like this podcast summit just attracted so many Black and diverse creators and you really spoke to them. They pulled out their wallets and flew out to Miami with very little notice. And I was just like so shocked. I remember I talked to one of my best friends is the CEO of PodFest. And when I told him about your ID, he's like, he's not going to get anyone. He hasn't started marketing yet. Oh, it's dead. Like, don't even show up. And I was like, ah, I think he's going to get some people, you know? 
And he ended up working with you in the end, and you guys are cool now. But like when he first heard the idea, he was like, oh, this is going to fail. He hasn't even started promoting yet. And I was like, well, you don't know David. So talk to us about how you were able to get people to come out to this conference and support you. I'm glad I know that. I, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Uh, that's interesting. But yeah, I mean, one, it's something that hasn't happened yet. And I'm not saying there hasn't been podcast education conferences. But there hasn't been one where there's predominantly black people there. Sometimes we speak a different language than other nationalities, right? So for one, I've been doing conferences since 2018. So this isn't my first one. 2022, me and a partner of mine did an event called Black Equity Con, and we had 2,200 people there. Now, this one's a little more niche. specifically for people that want a podcast, but they haven't seen it. Like they didn't see podcasts or podcast movement because those audiences, those summits or conferences aren't targeting us. So my audience, this is the first of its kind that they've seen. They're like, oh, wow. I didn't think I can go anywhere for podcast education. I'm like, all right, cool. I got you. And plus I've been an entrepreneur in a community for, again, a decade. So, I mean, it's a heavy lift and I lost money which hopefully I don't lose money this year because I'll get sponsors. But I'm just so used to doing everything myself. I just put my own money up and I want the money to come back. But we had about uh, 750 people there. We want to double that this year. But I looked at it as not winning how he thought it wasn't going to win because we thought it was going to have 1,500 people there this year. And we only had like 750. And I'm like, dang, this isn't good. But everybody had an amazing time. It was just phenomenal. So. I've been in a space for a long time. I've been very consistent. And when I say I'm going to do something, people can trust it. Yeah, and they show up. But really, I want you to think about this question in terms of how are you able to attract the specific audience, the niche audience, Black and diverse creators? Because like I said, it's not an easy thing to do to attract a specific audience. And These people are buying from you. They're watching your show. They're coming to your conferences. You've got them on lock, right? So what is your advice on attracting a niche audience? I'm not 100% sure I can... Somebody's just starting out. I'm not 100% sure I can give them the answer to the question other than the fact that I have been doing this for 10 years and I'm Black. It's not like I'm saying, okay, I'm specifically wanting Black people to be here. I did, but it's not like I even have the option of getting another audience. I don't have another audience. I was just telling your producer before the show, he said, you know, what's some of your goals with Social Proof? I said, I'm trying to get some more successful white people on the show. I just don't know any. (laughs) I only know Black people because I'm Black. (laughs) It's just who I am. A Black person that goes to a predominantly white school will have white friends. And the worlds that they're in will be white. And they can call white people and say, I need help with this particular thing. If a white person goes to a predominantly black school, that person will have black friends. And if they need something, they call their black friends and say, hey, I want to do this. And you embody that culture. I've only been in the black community my entire life. It's all I know. So once I start promoting, I'm speaking the language of the people I've been involved with for the last 38 years of my life. So I'm not 100% sure 
how I can tell somebody who's not black, yo, this is how you need to get the black community. I mean, I, I'm sure I can if, you know, we did a consultation, but in this answer, <laughs> I am black and I know what my people want. I know what my people don't have and I'm speaking their language and I'm delivering it in a way. I went to both the other podcast conferences and I did not have a good time. I didn't really learn anything. I didn't learn anything new. I, it was hard for me to receive the information. I was a little confused at what was going on. No fault of their own, though, because they're not speaking my language. And I'm 100% positive that they don't have people at the helm of this conference that look like me, that represent me, because they just don't know the language. No fault of their own, okay? I'm probably not going to attract a lot of white people. Why? Because I don't speak their language. Nobody's fault. I don't speak French. I don't speak Spanish. Spanish people may not speak English. So we're going to have a disconnect. I'm not going to understand what's going on. So we have a different flavor, not better or worse. We have a different flavor. We have a different flair. We have a different way that the conference needs to move for my audience to say, this is good. I have to connect my people. And then I got to bring some names on the stage that my people recognize and say, hey, I want to meet this person in person. We'll be right back after a quick break from our sponsors. Young and profiters, I'm about to be jet-setting all over the world. I'm going to London, Cancun, New Orleans, and New York to speak. I'm going to be up there with the bright lights, and I want to be spiffy. I want to look fresh. And so I'm going on a big shopping spree. I got to get clothes. I got to get hair stuff, skincare stuff, makeup. But I'm not going to feel guilty about this shopping spree because Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Rakuten is the shopping platform for savvy savers. From May 6th to May 13th, they're having their biggest cashback event of the year. I'm talking about 15% cashback at hundreds of stores with additional cashback bonuses. And they've got so many stores participating in their Big Give Week. So when it comes to clothes, I'm looking at Splendid and Good American. And when it comes to beauty, they've got so many good stores participating. They've got Ulta, Fenty, Bobby Brown, Blue Mercury, and all the products that we love. Now we can get cash back. It's like getting a discount on the stuff you're going to buy anyway. It's absolutely amazing. They even have travel brands. So that's going to be super convenient for me with all my upcoming trips. Expedia, Hotels.com. You can get deals on everything from electronics to home goods to travel and beauty. Young and profiters, you're going to want to grab this limited time deal with both hands. You get high cashback rates for only eight days. So hurry. Membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app at R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Young and profiters, as you may know, I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass a little bit over a year ago. It was my first course. And so far, I've generated well over $500,000. And the best part is, I didn't have to figure out how to set up my mastermind subscriptions, how to do abandoned cart targeting, and all of that tech geeky stuff. I just left that all to Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And if you're in that I need to sell more with less stage, Shopify Magic is your AI super-powered sidekick ready to whip up captivating content that converts 
And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell anything, anywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to the other options out there. It's no wonder Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., including huge global brands like Allbirds and Thrive Cosmetics. It took me a day to set up my Shopify store. I set up chat, took two minutes, and I was done. One month from thinking of the idea to implementation, a year later, I've made half a million dollars on the idea. That's what it takes in 2024, just a good idea. And then utilizing a platform like Shopify that can help you make it a reality. There is no excuse these days. If you've got a good business idea and you think you'll be a good entrepreneur, you don't have to wait any longer. You don't have to be super techie. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash profiting. Young and profiters, are you dreaming about starting a course? Do you want to go from one-to-one to one-to-many and scale yourself? If you're thinking about starting a course, then you need to hear about Kajabi. Kajabi is the OG of course platforms. I've got creators in my network like Jenna Kutcher and Amy Porterfield who have been using Kajabi for over a decade. These ladies know what they're doing. They are literally the course queens. And so I took a page from their playbook and I started using Kajabi. I've been playing around with it because I'm launching a podcast course next month and I need a lot of features that only a course platform would have like Kajabi. And they've thought of it all. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and so much more. One of the smartest things that I did when I launched my course is I focused on the content. I lasered in on that. I made sure people were getting the best investment they could, that I wouldn't get any refunds, that people would tell their friends, and my course would be successful by word of mouth. And I did that by focusing on my content, what I was good at, and not all the tech. Leave the tech stuff for your course to Kajabi. They are experts in that area, and they've thought of everything that you would ever need for your course. So if you want to start your course, now is your chance. As you guys may know, I always ask my sponsors for a free trial for any software that we talk about on the show. And Kajabi was super generous. They gave us a free 30-day trial that you can get at kajabi.com profiting. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com profiting. That's K-A-J-A-B-I.com profiting. Go to kajabi.com profiting and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. It's a great answer. And I am a branding expert and just a few things. People like people who are similar to them, right? People like people who share the same identity, part of the same group, part of the same community. And also people are attracted to brands that resonate with them. And so when you're thinking about creating a brand, you actually need to mirror your audience. So you are your perfect audience and you take it upon yourself to talk 
directly to that community. For me, I never bring up that I'm Arabic. I never talk about it because I don't identify with that, right? I, I grew up in America. I just feel American, right? And so for you, you identify with that. You speak about that. In my opinion, that's why people are really attracted to it because you are fostering Black community and creating communities and speaking about it. You know what? Actually, the reason, because I, I came to you and I said, hey, I think you should partner on this next podcast summit. And it's not just because you're an amazing speaker and you are an amazing speaker. We did the survey and you were one of the top speakers at the event. So we'd love to have you back next year. But I just saw how you were able to get white people to give you money. And I'm like, yo, <laughs> Alice speaks their language. And I want this to be a multicultural, diverse event. Now, we're not changing the way we do things in terms of bringing that flair that we bring. So we're going to run it the same way we did last year. But I'm, I need you to attract people that I can't attract. So that's why I asked you, I'm like, yo, Hala, we should probably connect. I was talking to Jessica too, like, yo, we need to like do some stuff together because you all figured out how to get white people to give you money. I haven't figured that out yet. <laughs> all right, I'll give you a hand next time around. <laughs> sweet, sweet. All right, so my last question, because I know you got to go. The last two questions that I ask all my guests is, what is one piece of actionable advice that our young and profiters can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? If you have a product, go ask more people to buy the product. And it sounds simple, but a lot of people in this day and age in entrepreneurship, they don't ask people to buy their product. They make videos, create content, and they say, click the link in my bio. But if you have a product, you're going to have to walk up to Hala Taha and say, would you like to buy this? Not just the story behind it, not just, hey, this is a cool design. And then Hala says something like, all right, well, I'm going to check you out. Send me your website. And you send her the website. No, you need to ask, would you like to buy this right now? If you adopt what I'm saying, you will make significantly more money today. So I was in the mall selling t-shirts and I tell people all about the brand, how cool it was. And they'll say, hey, you got a website? And that was the moment I knew you weren't buying anything. But someone says you got to ask for the sale. And asking for the sale isn't check me out. Asking for the sale is, would you like to buy this? And it was so incredible how sales doubled, tripled when I started asking people to buy. And here's another thing. I made them tell me no three times. Would you like to buy this? No, not right now. Okay, well, really, I'm going to ask you another question. Would you like to buy it just right now? You're here. I have the product. And they said, well, no, not right now. And I said, well, why not right now? Now is a good time to buy. You would be surprised how many people bought on the second or third note. It's incredible. So if you have a product or a service, you will make more money if you just ask people, ask more people more often to buy what you have to sell, period. Love it. And what is your secret to profiting in life? And this can go beyond business, beyond the topic of today's episode. Building a community, getting people to like you. I started out with a couple people. I'm saying, hey, come over to the house. Let's just figure out some ideas. I'm going to order pizza. Come over. I've been doing that since I lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And it's grown now, but I've been building a community for a long, long time now. So one of my theories in life is, if I'm around enough positive people, I'll be positive. If I'm around enough successful people, I'll be successful. If I'm around enough people 
who want to be more successful. Eventually, we will all become more successful together. I have to get around an environment that pushes me, inspires me, and motivates me, period. So you need to start building a community. And I'm not saying you have to start your own community. If you're not going to start your own community, you need to be a part of one. That's why we have the morning meetup. We have over 100 people that join a call every single morning at 8 a.m. Eastern time. And we have a theme for the month. We read about 15 books a year together. We discuss the books. But we're on the call every single morning. And I'm teaching entrepreneurship. I've been on all week. And I'm there every day. It's not like I hire other people to do it or somebody sits in my place. I do have other speakers come on to join and things of that nature. And we have a team. But I am on that call every single morning. And my friends say, yo, how do you do it every single morning? I love the community. It's not a money grab for me. I tell my community, I need this morning meetup more than you do. I love being around you. I love seeing the bright faces in the morning. I love the testimonials of the wins. I'm in this community every day. So right now, start building a community by being a part of one first. So this is called the morning meetup. And I think you said there was 100 people every day, but it's 1,000 people. I think you misspoke. It's almost 1,000 people every day join his morning yeah, well, call. There's about 1,000 people in the community oh, okay. that join it somewhere between 125, 200. But uh, we're looking to go to 10,000 this year. So Amazing. So how can people join Morning Meetup? How can they learn more about you, David? Oh, absolutely. Go to themorningmeetup.com, themorningmeetup.com, themorningmeetup.com. Also, go to your Apple or Spotify or YouTube device and go check out Social Proof Podcast. Just type in Social Proof Podcast and hit the little follow or subscribe button. And all the things that I do are right there. And I guarantee there's so much valuable information, not only for me, but dozens, dozens, dozens of other really, really amazing entrepreneurs, people that really have the game and we're freely sharing it. So just the podcast alone has helped so many people quit their job, build six and seven figure incomes. It's incredible. So go to Social Proof Podcast on your app or Spotify device or YouTube and uh, check me out. Awesome. I'll put all those links in the show notes. David, you're awesome. I loved our conversation. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. Having my good friend David Shands on the show and hearing his story really took me back to my early days working in retail at stores like Abercrombie and Bath & Body Works. Working in sales is such good training ground for business and for life. My days in retail taught me how to be a salesperson how to be confident, how to speak with people and connect with them in a short amount of time. So many skills I still use to this day as an entrepreneur. I loved hearing David talking about how he would try to boost his tips by upselling customers at the Cheesecake Factory where he worked. He learned a lot from that time in sales and from his days hustling to make it where he is today. I appreciated his candor and how tough that hustle could have been at times. Like David said, success takes focus, and sometimes he would have so many balls going at once that he would drop them all. And with so many false starts and so many distractions, he got lost at times. Eventually, he came to be comfortable with setbacks and not losing focus. And even if he had a bad few months when it came to earning money or creating content, he learned to just take those knocks and keep pushing ahead. And ultimately, he took those hard knock lessons and those insights that came from them and shared them with wider audiences, helping others learn from his mistakes. And doing that, David has created a vibrant community on his podcast, on his YouTube, and in his morning meetups. 
He has touched the lives and the businesses of so many other entrepreneurs with his knowledge and his passion, and he's earned their trust and loyalty in return. I appreciate your trust and loyalty, Yap Bam. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you listened, learned, and profited from this conversation with the wonderful David Shams, please share this episode with your friends and family. You can help us build a vibrant community of fellow young and profiters. Just hit that share button and text the link to this episode to someone you know who could benefit from it. And why not drop us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts while you're at it? Help us make sure that others can find us and learn from the same amazing conversations. You can find me on Instagram at Yavithala or LinkedIn by searching my name. It's Hala Taha. I also want to shout out my amazing production team, my executive producer, Jason, Amelia, our assistant producer, for Khan and Hisham helping us with guest outreach, Greta and Sean for supporting our research, Kriti, Ash, Garima, Ambika, and Aaron for helping us with sales and add-ups on the network. Thank you guys so much on the production side, on the network side, and of course, everybody on our social media agency side. You guys are absolutely amazing. I am so blessed. This is your host, Halataha, aka the Podcast Princess, signing off. 